Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back. We have a pistol going off in a classroom, Auburn's odds in the Sweet 16, and some background on gambling in the state. I'm Mike Morgan, and we're down in Alabama. A 74-year-old substitute teacher was working in a first-grade classroom at Bluntsville Elementary when, well, the pistol in his pocket went off, reports AL.com's Carol Robinson. One student was hit by a fragment and was treated for a minor injury. Now, don't go bringing your teachers a box of hollow points instead of an apple for a gift, even in Blunt County, because having a pistol in your pocket in school is against the rules. The substitute, Henry Weaver, was arrested and ended up in the Blunt County Jail. He's charged with reckless endangerment, third-degree aggravated assault, and possession of a firearm on school grounds. One of the things about the NCAA basketball tournament is that the games don't get easier as you go. Of course, Auburn defeated 4th seed Kansas 89-75 this past weekend, and now the Tigers will play number 1 seed North Carolina in the Sweet 16. AL.com's Tom Green reports that the Vegas Lions opened with UNC as a 5.5 point favorite. Now, it'll be just the fifth time Auburn and North Carolina have met on the court, and just the first time since they faced one another in the Sweet 16 back in 1985. The Tar Heels are 4-0 in the series. That's terrible. The Tigers will get a chance to fix that beginning at 6.30 p.m. Friday. Well, this time of year, every year, we talk about lotteries in Alabama. Other issues that don't get as many headlines but are out there are sports gambling and casino gambling. Obviously, there's a lot of money to be made by somebody in all these. Why hasn't it been able to sneak into our lives in a big way at some point? And no, the answer can't be fully explained away by, we're in the Bible Belt. To talk a bit about the history of gambling in Alabama, here is expert explainer Jonathan Soboleski. So the popularity of gambling has seen its ups and downs since the country was just a handful of colonies. And during the mid to late 1800s, we were on the back end of one of those waves of popularity. After the Civil War, Alabama and many other southern states even ran lotteries to raise some quick money to repair infrastructure that was destroyed in the war. The lottery started facing some backlash when people learned the kind of folks who were actually running the lotteries. See, in those days, lottery systems tended to be rife with corruption. Companies would pay bribes and kickbacks to get control of running and promoting the state lotteries. And once they had control, the companies weren't particularly concerned with running a fair game. Pretty famously, in the late 1800s, Louisiana ran one of the most profitable and most corrupt lotteries in the country. They had no problem with straight up bribing lawmakers to secure a contract, and if they couldn't sell all the tickets to a particular drawing, they would still include the unsold tickets, and if one was picked, the lottery winnings would go to the company running the lottery. Stories about this corruption became pretty well known in the era when the Alabama Constitution was being drawn up, which is likely why gambling was outlawed at the time. Now you may be asking, isn't straight up banning gambling sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Gambling is still a big moneymaker, so couldn't the state just institute some kind of oversight or regulation of the gambling business to root out corruption but still keep bringing in the revenue? That's what states with legalized gambling do today, after all. But over a century ago, that's not how government worked. Ideas like government regulation and oversight of private industry weren't really a thing. There was no FDA checking food. There was no OSHA protecting workers' rights. That type of regulation didn't become commonplace until the era of the new 
New Deal, which was still decades away. So when faced with issues like corruption in the gambling industry, they basically had two options, live with it or straight up outlaw the whole industry. Alabama went with option number two. Now the state of Alabama is probably going to have to deal with the question of legalized gambling in the future. The state's love of low taxes but desires for improvement are inevitably going to lead to a need for a new revenue stream, and gambling in some form has become a common fix for other states. But it's going to face opposition, not just from churches and conservative groups, but from one of the most well-funded groups that take part in the fight against gambling, other casinos. Casinos in nearby states, tribal casinos, and gambling halls that already operate in a legal gray area in Alabama have nothing to gain and everything to lose from gambling being legalized in this state. After all, everyone who gambles in Alabama's new casinos won't be gambling in these existing casinos, so they have a vested interest in shutting down potential competition, which often leads to strange alliances of church groups against vice standing shoulder to shoulder with and sometimes being financed by the same vice interests they are opposing. Of course, a lot of this tends to get hidden in dark money groups, so no one can see where the money comes from, but you can see a good example of it in 2018 in Florida. That's when the Seminole Tribe and the Disney Corporation teamed up to push for an anti-casino amendment. Not because they're morally opposed to gambling, but because neither group wanted to deal with competition from other casinos or resorts. Anyway, that's how gambling became illegal in Alabama in the first place and why it stayed that way for so long. I'm Jonathan Soboleski for Reckon. I reckon so. Thanks, Sobo. Well, don't place a bet on hearing my voice again this week, unless you're within earshot of the water hazard on number five at Highland Park. While I'm out, Lita Gore will take care of you. Y'all be nice to her, and thank you so much, as always, for listening. In between briefings, y'all come see us on the internet at al.com.